Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Our text today will be taken from the reading in the Gospel of Matthew. Let's begin with the word of prayer. Almighty God, by your grace alone, you have gathered us as workers in your vineyard. And Lord, we thank you for the call that we have received. Lord, we pray today that as we learn what it means to receive your grace in the same way, that you would teach us to trust in you and to not begrudge your generosity. And now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in Jesus' name, amen. Why hire those guys at all? That's the question that's been rolling around in my head this past week as I've been working through uh, Jesus' parable, which we call the laborers in the vineyard. Why hire those guys at the 11th hour of the day? It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. After all, by the 11th hour of the day, most of the work is done. There's not much more to have happen there in that vineyard. Everyone else has been doing the work the whole day. But for some reason, the master in our parable today goes out at the 11th hour. And he finds some guys, I don't know, bumming around down at the local 7-Eleven. And he asks them why they're not working. And I can't say that that's really too hard to answer. After all, they're not working because they haven't been looking for work. Of course, they blame that everyone else, well, nobody's hired us. No, they haven't really been looking is more likely than that. It's more likely that they haven't been working, uh, looking. So he hires them out. At the end of the day, when the work is basically all done, when everyone else is beat and exhausted and tired and nearly finished. So the question is, there's not much work to do, why hire them at all? Well, I think we get at this by digging a little bit more into the parable this morning and fixing our eyes in this parable on the master, on the one who owns the vineyard. The parable begins this way. The master has a vineyard and it's time to, you know, take off the grapes to clean the vines. And so he goes out and at the beginning of the day, he hires a group of men and he agrees with them to pay them a denarius. Now, a denarius is a day's wages. So this is a fair payment. It's a good payment. It's a just payment. It's how much they would expect to get paid. And so they agree to it. Then about three hours later, he goes out and does the same thing. And then six hours later, and then nine hours later. Every three hours, he's going out and hiring people to come work in the vineyard. With these next groups, he agrees to pay them. He says, what is right? And then now finally at the 11th hour, he goes out once again and finds the riffraff. These guys around doing nothing, not working and not looking for work. And he promises to pay them, or he promises them nothing. He doesn't tell them he's going to pay them at all. He just tells them to go into the vineyard and work. And so they go. I mean, that's fine, I guess. I just don't really get it. But hey, it's not my vineyard, right? This master is, is free to hire as he pleases. It's his vineyard. He can do what he wants. Let him do it. But I still wonder, why? Why would a master hire that late in the day? Well, I think we get to our answer when we come to see how this master pays out everybody who's done the work. Now, in this master's field, the last are paid first and the first are, are paid last. And so uh, these guys who were hired at the 11th hour, they show up. And the master pays them for a day's work. He pays them a denarius. Are you kidding me? 
I mean, that's incredible. That, talk about generous. These guys really, they hardly did anything. And I mean, if you really start to do the math on this, if they were hired at the 11th hour at the 7-Eleven, they still had to get to the vineyard, so that's probably 15 minutes. And by the time they get there, they got to be told how to do the job, so that's another 15 minutes. So my guess is they really worked about, you know, 25 minutes in all. And they wanted a water break too. So, I mean, they really didn't do too much. And yet the master, he's paying them a day's worth of wages. That's a generous thing. That's a wonderful thing. And you can imagine how excited they were. And if you think they're excited, you should see the guys who began working at the beginning of the day. They're in the back now, and they got their calculators out because they're trying to figure out the math here. If they got one denarius, we're getting like, I don't know, maybe 12 denarius. I mean, we're denarii, I don't know the plural. Uh, we're going to get a whole bunch of money. Oh, this is great. This is exciting. What have we got coming to us? And the answer, of course, is a denarius the amount they agreed to work for, the right and just wage which they signed up for. And they are furious. This doesn't seem right to them at all. So they go to the master and they say, look, these guys worked for an hour and you made them equal to us. We who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat, we worked like crazy. We did everything and you're going to pay them the same as us? And I love the master's answer. At least I want to love the master's answer. I'm not sure I do love the master's answer now that I think about it. He says to one of those guys who's complaining, now friend, look, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? Like I said, I, I, I love that answer. At least I want to love that answer. But if you're anything like me, you're probably a little hesitant to love that answer. Because I love that answer if I'm the guy hired at the 11th hour. If I'm the guy who started working early in the morning, I'm not too thrilled about it. Because what we're getting here now is the answer to my initial question. Why does the master hire people at the 11th hour? Well, it seems he hires them at the 11th hour because he just wants to pay everybody a day's wage. I don't even know if he's concerned about the vineyard. He just wants to pay people for work, regardless of how much they work. Why hire those guys at the end of the day? So he could show how generous he is. Because he wanted to have some fun with what was his own money. Because he wanted to show those guys a good time. Or at least he wanted to take care of them. And a denarius for a day's work would take care of them. And it would take care of those who worked all day too. All of them got what they deserved if they worked the whole day. But these guys who worked at the end of the day, they didn't get what they deserved at all. They got the opposite. This is what we call grace. A day's wage for an hour's work. So why hire them at all? so that he could be generous with what was his. He could be generous to whom he wanted to be generous to. And again, I, I suppose that's a nice story until we put it into the context of real life and understand why Jesus is telling this parable at all. Uh, the reason the parable has come up is because his chief apostle, Peter, has come to him. And Peter has just announced to Jesus about how he and the other 12 disciples have sacrificed everything. They've given up everything to become his follower. And Peter is now wondering what the payout is going to be for this. We've given it all. So what are we going to get out of it? 
What then, says Peter, will we have? Since we've given up more, abandoned everything, and worked the hardest with you from the beginning, what is our payout? How much have we earned? Because Peter's saying, I bet that since we've been with you so long, that day of judgment, well, it's looking pretty good for me and the boys over here. So what are we going to get? And it's as though with this parable, what Jesus does, it's as though he puts his arm around Peter's shoulder and directs his attention uh, to a guy waking up in a drunken stupor out of a gutter. And Jesus says to Peter, you see that man over there? He's about to die. So I'm going I'm to walk over to him, Peter, and this is what I'm going to whisper into his ear. I'm going to say to him, my son, I forgive you. And pretty soon I'm going to go shed my blood on a cross for you and rise from the dead for you so that you have a place in my kingdom for all of eternity. I am going to purchase for you a seat at the marriage feast of the Lamb. And sir, I am going to let you sit up front. In fact, why don't you take a seat here next to my dear friend, Peter? You can imagine Peter getting all indignant and saying, "Uh, I don't think that's how it's going to work, uh, Jesus, because like I said, we've given up everything to follow you, and that guy blew everything you gave him. You can imagine Peter or someone with Peter's mindset saying, look at all I've done. I've done all of this, Jesus. Sacrificed everything. Volunteered for you. Volunteered at church. Sacrificed fun and a little bit of healthy rebellion for Bible study and prayer. I've taught Sunday school. I've ushered. I've read. I went to seminary and became a pastor. I, you know, I'm the first pope. I mean, it's Peter. He could say that, right? No, he couldn't. He couldn't. Never mind. Okay. Uh, But here's Peter. You know, he's saying, look at all we've done. And you're going to show that guy the same mercy you've shown us? You're going to love that guy the same way you've loved me? That guy who's hurt his family, wrecked his life, and at the last minute saw you? So you decided to save him? I think that's exactly what Jesus is doing in this parable today. And it's a hard pill for us to swallow at times. I remember a number of years ago, I was preaching on the nature of the, radi- uh, the radical nature, I should say, of the gospel. Uh, this is in my former congregation. And, and I, to illustrate the radical nature of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I, I used an illustration I read from Philip Yancey's book. If you remember the book, uh, What's So Amazing About Grace? Pretty, pretty interesting book. But in there, he recounts uh, the story of the conversion of a guy named Jeffrey Dahmer. I don't know if you guys remember Jeffrey Dahmer. Uh, Jeffrey Dahmer not a great dude. (laughs) One of the great sort of mass murderers in our country's history. Just a terrifying man. Well, he went to jail, and obviously he was in jail for a very, very, very long time for what he had done. Uh, But the account goes that while he was in prison, he converted. Uh, He was actually baptized like in a little in a little pool there, and he became a Christian. And now a lot of people didn't take it too seriously. I mean, after all, it's a prison baptism. Maybe he was trying to get, you know, some time off from his multiple, multiple, multiple life sentences. I'm sure that's why he did it. (laughs) He wasn't getting out of jail. That baptism wasn't getting him out of jail, though it did get him, you know, out of hell. So anyhow, I preached this message about how God could even save a sinner uh, like Jeffrey Dahmer. And a few weeks later, one of my elders came to me. He said, you know, Pastor, uh, I, had a, I had a friend here at service when you preached that message. And they didn't like it. They said they couldn't believe it. I said, what, they didn't believe that Jeffrey Dahmer converted? He said, no, no, she, she didn't, it wasn't that. It's that she didn't believe that Jesus could save a sinner like that. 
for her, that was just too much. I think about that a lot, and you know, I actually get it. I get that reaction. Because she's right. It is too much. It was way too much. Far more than he deserved. Obviously, he deserves something very different. And yet Jesus came along and used the same baptism to give him the same faith that he gave to many of us when we were baptized as infants. He promised him the same kingdom that he has promised to you. That you have been a part of since childhood. And he promised him a seat at the same table at the marriage feast of the Lamb. Who knows? He may be sitting next to you. Who knows? He may be asking you to pass the bread. And you wonder, how can this be? Why? Why save a sinner like that? Why forgive him? Why treat him the same way, Jesus, that you would treat me? Well, it's because Jesus he just wants to be generous. He just wants to show grace. He just wants to have mercy on who he wants to have mercy on. And what? What? You don't like that sort of generosity? Well, that's fine. That's fine. You can take your ball and go home. But I'll tell you what. You do that, you're going to be missing out on quite a party with really the most interesting sort of company. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God, you have forgiven us far more than we deserve. And you have shown us mercy and grace. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would teach us not only to enjoy the mercy and grace that you have shown sinners like us, but to enjoy the mercy and grace you show to all sinners. Help us, Lord, not to begrudge your generosity, but to rejoice with all that you do. We thank you for Jesus who has died for our sins and risen again to promise us life. It's in his name we pray. Amen.